0: Thank you for joining me for today's BeastWatch News Update. News from the Internet's most comprehensive Bible prophecy news website, beastwatchnews.com. I'm Kimberly Rogers-Brown. Will there be a direct conflict between the U.S. and Russia? It could perhaps happen over the coming attack on Idlib that the U.S. and Russia will have another direct military engagement. Both have deployed fleets in the Mediterranean and Russia is performing military exercises while it appears the U.S. is just sitting waiting to see what happens after President Trump issued another warning about the use of chemical weapons in Idlib. With both superpowers on heightened alert, what could go wrong? Well, a lot or nothing, There are a few bent spokes in everyone's bicycles, as we shall see. First, let's take a look at Russia's positioning in the Mediterranean. Russia has positioned a considerable naval armada in the Mediterranean near Syria after accusing the U.S., of plotting a false flag chemical weapons attack there. A Russian Defense Ministry spokesman recently said the U.S. had built up its naval forces in the Mediterranean and accused it of once again preparing major provocations in Syria using poisonous substances to severely destabilize the situation and disrupt the steady dynamics of the ongoing peace process. But the Pentagon on Tuesday denied any such build-up, calling Russia's claims nothing more than propaganda, and warning that the U.S. military was not unprepared to respond should the president direct such an action, according to CNN's Ryan Brown. Business Insider reviewed monitors of Mediterranean maritime traffic and found only one U.S. Navy destroyer reported in the area. The same naval monitors suggest Russia may have up to 13 ships in the region with submarines on the way. It appears the Russians are loading for bear, preparing for a major move in the Middle East. International investigators have found that Syria's government, backed by Moscow, has carried out dozens of deadly chemical attacks on its civilians. The U.S. has warned the Syrians and Russians not to perpetrate a chemical attack in Idlib, but Russia is accusing U.S.-linked forces of secretly conducting these same attacks. Russia has positioned a considerable naval armada in the Mediterranean near Syria after accusing the U.S. of plotting a false flag chemical weapons attack in rebel-held areas, and it looks as if it's preparing for war with the U.S., Russia's massive Navy buildup in Syria can't actually stop the U.S. from striking Syria in response to the Syrian government's chemical attacks, as it has twice in the past two years. If Russia were to counterattack U.S. Navy ships firing on Syria, the U.S. would most likely crush it in short order. Instead, Russia will probably just keep up its propaganda effort which includes the ship deployments according to Business Insider well Business Insider's conclusion that the US could crush Russia for firing on the US Navy falls short of addressing Russia's firepower Russia will keep up its propaganda until the time it desires to engage the US on US soil This is a scenario that almost no mainstream news outlet hints at, let alone addresses. This keeps the U.S. public lulled into a sense of security that doesn't exist. Even with its massive naval presence, Moscow doesn't stand a chance of stopping any U.S. attack in Syria, according to Omar Lamrani, a military analyst at the geopolitical consulting firm Stratford, told Business Insider. Physically, the Russians can't really do anything to stop that strike, Lamrani said. If the U.S. comes in and launches cruise missiles... As it has in past strikes, the Russians have to be ideally positioned to defend against them, still won't shoot down all of them, and will risk being seen as engaging the U.S., which might cause U.S. ships to attack them. Lamrani said that in all previous U.S. strikes in Syria, the U.S. has taken pains to avoid killing Russian forces and escalating a conflict with Syria to a conflict between the world's two greatest nuclear powers. Not because the U.S. cannot wipe out the flotilla of vessels if they want to, he said, but because the U.S. wouldn't risk sparking World War III with Russia over the Syrian government's gassing of its civilians. To be frank, Lamrani said, the U.S. has absolute dominance in the Mediterranean and Russia's ships wouldn't matter. Business Insider and these military analysts will one day get a great big surprise from Russia but until then People like me who keep warning Americans will remain in the minority being laughed at as conspirators. But here is one article from Sputnik that the pro-U.S. military analysts say is propaganda and has to do with the way Russia sees the U.S. deployment in the Mediterranean. The U.S. Navy's Los Angeles-class submarine USS Newport News, armed with Tomahawk cruise missiles, has entered the port of Gibraltar at the entrance to the Mediterranean Sea. The nuclear-powered fast-attack submarine was spotted near the port on Thursday, with a Spanish customs boat being intercepted by a Gibraltar defense police vessel once it approached the U.S. vessel. The Gibraltar Chronicle cited the U.S. Department of Defense as saying that the submarine's arrival was a scheduled logistical visit. Over the past two weeks, there has been a great deal of speculation about the possibility of a chemical weapons attack in Syria with Russian military officials warning of an upcoming provocation that would trigger a new round of Western strikes against Bashar Assad's government. On Friday, CNN reported that facilities allegedly connected with the production of chemical weapons may be among the principal targets that would be hit if the U.S. administration deemed Damascus had indeed used chemical weapons against civilians. To that end, the destroyer USS The Sullivans, armed with 56 cruise missiles, arrived in the Persian Gulf a couple of days ago. While a U.S. B-1 bomber carrying 24 air-to-surface missiles, the AGM-158s and the JSSM cruise missiles, had been deployed to al Air Base in Qatar, Russian Defense Ministry spokesman Major General Igor Koneshenkov said. Last Sunday, Koneshenkov warned that militants from the Tahir al-Sham group were preparing to stage a provocation in Idlib province in order to accuse Syrian government forces of using chemical weapons against civilians. On Tuesday... The Russian Center for Syrian Reconciliation stated that the so-called White Helmets had delivered a large shipment of toxic substances to a warehouse used by Arar al Sham militants in Idlib in order to stage a false flag attack and blame it on the government's troops. During a joint presser with his Russian counterpart earlier this week, Syrian Foreign Minister Walid Molem said the White Helmets group had kidnapped 44 children to stage the false flag attack. In April 2018, a vast number of Western media outlets and the White Helmets reported that Syrian government forces had used chemical weapons against civilians in the city of Dumas. Irrespective of the lack of evidence, the U.S., France, and the U.K. carried out a series of coordinated airstrikes against several targets in Syria that allegedly stored chemical weapons. Russia says it has knowledge of an impending chemical attack in Idlib, but that it will take the form of a U.S. false flag attack used to justify military intervention in Syria. But Russia has made that claim before, and credible reports and inspections consistently link chemical weapons use to Russian or Syrian warplanes rather than anybody else. After telegraphing this flashpoint, the Russian Navy deployed in impressive numbers to the Mediterranean, where the U.S. has twice fired on Syria. This could mean that Russia and Syria will again use chemical weapons against Syrian civilians, and Russia is preparing to stop the U.S. from intervening. The Sputnik article certainly is less biased in its assessment than the Business Insider. Now let's look at an area where tensions between the U.S. and Iran are flaring. Tensions between the U.S. and Iran are flaring once again in the 21-mile-wide Strait of Hormuz, through which passes about one-third of all international oil shipments, most of it from Saudi Arabia. A top Iranian admiral said Iran has taken over control of the Strait as of last week. The Revolutionary Guards Navy said there is no need for the presence of aliens like the U.S. and the countries whose home is not in here, he said. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo shot back at Iran saying it does not have control of the Straits and promised to keep the oil shipping through there. It appears Iran has backed down from the United States because Tehran announced this week that it will move its main oil export terminal from the Gulf to the Oman Strait to spare its tankers from using the strategic strait of Hormuz to reach the oil terminal on Kark Island Tankers must currently pass through the narrow Strait of Hormuz, slowing down deliveries. The latest threat was in July when Rouhani said Iran has always guaranteed the security of the Strait, but warned the U.S. should not play with the lion's tail. Moving its terminal to the Oman Sea would in theory allow Iran to continue exporting oil even if the strait was closed. Therefore do not view this as Iran backing down. Iran is making sure its own oil deliveries will not be disrupted when it comes to blows with the US and Saudi Arabia and removes these nations from the Straits of Hormuz only the West and Saudi Arabia will suffer when that happens now moving on to Iraq Israel has threatened to strike Iranian targets in Iraq The two nations are technically at war, but despite their formal state of enmity, Israel and Iraq have not openly engaged in hostilities in decades. This may be about to change because the Iranians have transferred missiles to Iraq. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said he was deeply concerned by the Iranian missile transfer and that it is a gross violation of Iraqi sovereignty and of UNSCR 2231. It may be a violation of UNSCR 2231, but methinks Iraq is throwing whatever alliance they still have with the U.S., out the window in favor of iran in syria there were explosions in a damascus weapons storehouse this week but no syrian anti-aircraft fire was documented either at planes or at missiles it appears the explosion was not caused by an israeli attack as some tried to say Syria state media said the explosion was at an ammunitions dump and was caused by an electrical problem but on Monday this was followed by a bombing attack on a convoy of Iranian forces and Shiite militias near the American Al-Tanf in southern Syria Rami Abdel Rahman, the chairman of the Syrian organization whose headquarters are in London said that it was not known who was responsible for the attack. The AFT news agency turned to the US-led anti-ISIS coalition asking whether it had bombed the convoy but there was no response. The east-west land corridor that Iran has been trying to strengthen over the past two years is now drawing more international attention and possibly airstrikes that no one really wants to talk about. Reuters is the news outlet that reported last weekend that Iran was using the corridor to transfer medium-range missiles to Iraq, which Iran denied. Senior Israeli officials, including Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Defense Minister Avigdor Lieberman, have, over the past few days, gone back to expressing themselves publicly about the Iranian presence in Syria. Against the backdrop of visits by American envoys to Israel and of senior Iranians in Syria, it was once again reported that Israel is not entirely happy with the arrangement with Russia to keep Iranian forces in Syria away from Israel's border. Moscow has kept its pledge to move the Iranians at a distance of 85 kilometers away from the border with Israel in the Golan, but this pledge does not include Damascus. Israel wants to push Iran further back, which will violate its arrangement with Russia. Hint! Daniel 1140 to 45 says the king of the south will push at the king of the north. Israel is pushing back. See? If Israel continues to try to push Iran out of Syria, this could literally turn out to be Daniel's prophetic words. Relative quiet has prevailed since Assad has completed his takeover of southern Syria, but Now it seems that Israel is signaling it will return to operations as usual. As long as it identifies a danger, which to Israel also means deviating from understandings with the Russians, Israel reserves the right to respond. That is what Lieberman said this week in an interview in the framework of the Israel News Company's Influencers Conference. From the Iran side, General Qasem Soleimani has not stopped or even slowed down his drive for widening and deepening Iran's military infrastructure in Syria, according to Debka. Iran is as strong or stronger in Syria now than ever before. Soleimani has clearly not been deterred by serious 200 attacks and 800 tons of ordnance used. He has simply found different ways of attaining the Iranian objective of staying in Syria. In the past five months, he has been embedding Iranian bases and command centers inside the Syrian military network. Others have been planted close to the perimeter fences of Russian bases or moved across the border into western Iraq, allowing Iranian and allied forces to escape to safety after an operation. However... There seems to be a broken spoke in Qasem's bicycle. The relationship between Hezbollah's leader Hassan Nasrallah and close ally General Soleimani is on the rocks. Without a word to the Iranian general, Nasrullah pulled roughly 5,000 Hezbollah troops back home to Lebanon from the Syrian war front, depriving Soleimani of more than half of the competent fighting strength at his disposal in Syria because the Pakistani and Iraqi militia fighters never measured up to Hezbollah's combat standards. Furthermore, Nasrallah has ignored Soleimani's orders to send back to Syria at least half of the Hezbollah force he sent home. This comes after Nasrallah complained about Soleimani's war tactics in Syria in closed-door meetings with the Iranian command last month. Nasrallah faulted the general's decision to scatter a large number of IRGC and Shiite militia bases across Syria saying that massive US-Israeli air power would soon pulverize them he also complained about the Shiite militia fighters being unreliable in combat since the Nasrallah Soleimani rupture Those militia chiefs have vented their own beefs primarily about their treatment at the hands of the Iranian general who issues dictates and expects unquestioning obedience as his only form of communication. Some are now going behind the Iranian commander's back and addressing their messages to Nasrallah in Beirut for passing on to Tehran. The fractured ties between Iran's top surrogate chief and its senior Middle East strategist surfaced in the past fortnight when Iran's Defense Minister Amir Hatami and Foreign Minister Mohammad Javad Zarif, who paid important visits to Damascus, skipped side trips to Beirut and contacts with Hezbollah leaders. Military sources also disclosed that the withdrawal of Hezbollah troops from most of eastern Syria to Lebanon was the catalyst for violent battles over territory between Soleimani's Shiite militias and Syrian contingents, mainly in the Deir zor and Abu Kamal regions. In the fighting which broke out on August 8th and is still ongoing, both sides are using artillery, mortars, heavy machine guns, and automatic sidearms. Both have inevitably suffered substantial dead and wounded casualties. In an attempt to curb the unfolding catastrophe, the Russian High Command in Syria acted in the second half of August by posting Russian military police on the Euphrates River bridges to try and separate the warring forces in the two embattled areas. These same military police were originally assigned to man eight positions on the Syrian-Israeli border opposite the Golan. I suspect this situation also plays a role in Russia's sudden naval build-up in the Mediterranean. Russia may be preparing to fill in where Hezbollah leaves a gap in the numbers of Shiite militia forces okay now let's talk about that Idlib offensive the Syrians actually began their offensive against Idlib on Tuesday despite US objections Russian planes have also reportedly bombed rebel-held targets in Idlib as Russia's government troops massed before the expected offensive Air raids have pounded areas of the last rebel-held province, killing several civilians and raising further concerns that an all-out government offensive is only a matter of time. At least 24 raids, the first in three weeks, hit the area on Tuesday morning, according to activists who said they saw Russian and Syrian regime warplanes in the sky as the UN warned against a bloodbath. Turkey has for weeks been engaged in diplomatic efforts to prevent a Syrian government attack on Idlib. Turkey, Russia and Iran, which is also a major Assad ally, are expected to hold a summit on Syria in Tehran on Friday. But Syrian airstrikes began before the talks. Demestura, who has mediated several rounds of Syrian talks in recent years without making any progress, said he was determined to hold discussions with high-level envoys from Turkey, Iran, and Russia on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week, despite concerns the offensive may begin before then. Meanwhile, U.S. President Donald Trump, late on Monday, ...warned Syria against recklessly attacking Idlib, which he said could trigger a human tragedy. The White House said Tuesday it is closely monitoring the fate of Idlib, ...where it said millions of innocent civilians are under threat of an imminent attack by the regime of President Bashar al-Assad. The United States promises to respond swiftly and appropriately if Syria uses chemical weapons in Idlib province the last rebel-held stronghold in Syria also on Tuesday Israeli planes targeted military positions in the provinces of Tartus and Hama Syrian air defenses confronted and downed some of the rockets an Israeli military spokeswoman declined to comment The U.S. wanted to quash Syria's incoming Idlib offensive. James Jeffrey, special representative for Syria engagement, and Joel Rayburn, the special envoy for Syria, have been tasked with giving the new Trump-Syria policy practical substance. Their first objective is to avert the Russian-Iranian-Syrian offensive against Idlib. The last, This goal goes to the core of the three allies' most vital plans. It is seen as a last-ditch attempt to impose U.S. will and interests on the Syrian warscape, not only by evicting Iran from the country, but also unraveling Russia's strategy. Both Tehran and Moscow view the Idlib offensive as a triumphant finale to their successive Syrian venture. Washington therefore rates this prevention worth the candle even at the cost of a possible US or Israeli war operation. The State Department's focus is now on maintaining Israel's security while countering Iran's destabilizing activity through the region. The U.S. and Russia's latest attempt at the Middle East peace in Helsinki on July 16th has broken down. But this time it is U.S. President Donald Trump and Israel who are to blame. Instead of pulling American troops out of Syria as promised... The White House switched in mid-August to the quest for a proactive U.S. role in determining the ultimate stages of the Syrian civil war. Moscow reacted by massing a Russian war fleet and special forces in the eastern Mediterranean and Syria to guard against any further American surprises. The Russians have been engaged in war exercises over the Mediterranean that are affecting civilian air traffic in and out of Israel in preparation for Syria's attack on Idlib. The Israeli Airports Authority informed airlines that due to the Russian military exercise carried out in the eastern part of the Mediterranean basin, There may be changes in the flight routes in the Cyprus area that could affect international flight routes to and from Ben-Gurion International Airport, causing delays in landings and takeoffs. The disruptions come as Ben-Gurion Airport, the country's main airfield for international flights, braces for one of its busiest periods of the year, three major Jewish holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot all fall within the next three weeks. Now, moving on to the Israeli peace plan, a rumor, some call it a conspiracy, is floating around that the White House plans to offer the Palestinian Authority and Jordanian government a confederation. Both the PA and Jordanians have come out strongly against the idea, saying it threatens both the Palestinians and the Hashemite Kingdom, unless such a confederation includes Israel as well. Trump's deal rollout is now in question as it meets with such resistance Two months ago, the long-awaited release of the Trump administration's ambitious plan for peace between Israelis and Palestinians, what the president has called the ultimate deal, seemed imminent. President Trump's two top envoys to the peace process, Jared Kushner, his son-in-law and advisor, and... Jason Greenblatt, a former senior Trump Organization lawyer, had prepared and begun to circulate a 40-page draft, but the proposal hit a wall. Persian Gulf Arab states, along with Jordan and Egypt, which have courted and been courted by Trump, flatly rejected terms they saw as radical, pro-Israel, and out of line with traditional US policy and international law, according to officials familiar with the peace-seeking process. As a result of that opposition, the administration backed away from publicly revealing its plan and has switched to a different approach, increasing pressure on the Palestinians in hopes of pushing them to the negotiating table. And now, good news in Israel. There was excitement in Israel this week over an important announcement last Tuesday. The Temple Institute's Red Heifer Program announced that an entirely red female calf was born paving the way for re-establishing the temple service and marking the final stage of redemption the newborn red heifer was certified by a board of rabbis as fulfilling all the biblical requirements the rabbis emphasized that the heifer could at any time acquire a blemish rendering it unsuitable They will be inspecting the calf periodically to verify its condition. Almost three years ago, the Temple Institute inaugurated its Raise a Red Heifer in Israel program. Due to laws restricting the importation of live cattle into Israel, the Temple Institute imported frozen embryos of red Angus, implanting them in Israeli domestic cows. The pregnant cows were raised on cattle ranches in different locations throughout the country. The cows are giving birth this summer with several calves already having been born. Several heifers have been found in recent years that seem to qualify but ultimately were deemed unsuitable. And earlier this month, two calves born in Israel to the Institute's Red Heifer Program were deemed to be unsuitable for the performance of the mitzvah one calf was a bull, while the second, a heifer, had a small patch of white hair, which disqualified her. Stay tuned, I'll be right back after these messages. Hi, this is Kimberly Rogers-Brown thanking you for listening to The Jerusalem Report produced by BeastWatchNews.com and asking you to send your support. A donation of any size to BeastWatchNews.com It costs money to run ministries, to teach the Word, interpret the prophecies, and to keep websites online. Trust me, we sure do appreciate it. And remember, you can read the transcript of today's broadcast under the Jerusalem Report at beastwatchnews.com Join Pete Rambo and Kimberly Rogers Brown in Jerusalem for the Feast of Sukkot. 16 nights for only $825. Offer includes breakfast and dinner. Does not include airfare, other transportation, or lunch. Present yourself before the eyes and heart of the King in Jerusalem. Go to AniYosef.com for details. A-N-I-Y-O-S-E-F.com. See you this year in Jerusalem and stay tuned for details on the upcoming Jerusalem tour. Such a deal. Join the Rambo and Brown Jerusalem tour at Sukkot 2018 for only $199 for three days or $74 a day for a single day in case you can't attend all three days. We will visit the important sites in Jerusalem, Old City, plus Mount Herzl and Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum. You will see amazing archaeological evidence of Jerusalem and Temple Mount going back thousands of years. This year in Jerusalem. A viable red heifer almost certainly heralds the building of Yahweh's altar. But, will that altar be built along with a temple? If so, which temple? Solomon's or Yahweh's? In this section called Kingdom Words, what did Yahweh mean when he said temple, we'll explore this issue. The word temple is Hekal, it is Strong's 1964, and it is a large public building such as a palace or temple. Also, we call it Yahweh's dwelling place. Just as the tabernacle was Yahweh's temporary dwelling place, the temple is his permanent dwelling place. The first mention of this word Hekal is in 1 Samuel 1, nine. It does refer to the place of Yahweh's commanded national worship services and rituals administered by the Aaronic priesthood for the children of Israel. There had been a tabernacle, a mishkan, a temporary dwelling, but the Hekal was a more permanent place set up at Shiloh it would be destroyed, and later Yahweh would command His permanent dwelling to be built in Jerusalem. But that's not the reason for this question. Having written so much about Judaism's and Christianity's misuse of biblical terminology, nothing is clearer to me than our need to use Yahweh's definitions, not ours, that have developed over the last 3500 years. The kingdom is eternal, never changing. So is its Hebrew language and the definitions of the Hebrew words. The world's and Israel's culture have changed drastically over time to the point that today's use of kingdom terminology is very different from when Yahweh first introduced the words and concepts. The problematic definition of the temple has to do with whose temple it is. Yahweh's temple is universally known in modern times as Solomon's Temple, and it has caused the New World Order leaders, Freemasons and Jews of the world, to look for King Solomon's Temple. This could fool a lot of Christians, and even the elect, if possible. Let me explain why this is wrong, in purely modern human terms. Let's say, Joe built me a house. Whose house is it? Is it Joe's house or mine? Of course, I'm going to call it mine. I paid for it. Would it be okay with me if Joe told everyone it was his house? Of course not. And how would I feel if he kept repeating that it is his house until everyone thought of me as nothing more than a guest or even a squatter? For the last 3,000 years... Yahweh's temple, his dwelling place, has been thought of as belonging to Solomon, because that's the redefinition of whose temple it is, caused by constant verbal misdirection using the wrong definition. Words used long enough and often enough become truth in people's minds. We speak without even considering the lie behind what we say. It is no wonder people are confused about the coming anti-messiah. The Jews are looking for someone from the line of Solomon to go into the temple of God and declare himself to be the Messiah. The recently revived Sanhedrin of Israel wrote to President Trump recently... The letter said, We, the judges of the Sanhedrin, the high court according to the Torah of Israel, are pleased that you are visiting Jerusalem, the eternal capital of the nation of Israel, in which the creator of the world chose as the site of the holy temple. We hope that you will decide to go up to the Temple Mount, Mount Moriah, to the proper areas, and by doing so you will merit the blessings of King Solomon, who founded the Temple with the intention that foreign leaders will come from afar to bring peace to their lands. The Jews want to give earthly rulers the blessings of King Solomon. Why are they not wanting to bless the earthly rulers with a blessing from Yahweh for having shown up in Jerusalem? And by the way, when does scripture say the earthly rulers will show up in Jerusalem? At Sukkot. The rabbis teach what our errant Hebrew roots leaders teach, which is that you don't have to go to Jerusalem now. You can do the feasts in your own home, in New York City, Oregon, Oklahoma, anywhere in Australia, Italy, South Africa, etc. This Sanhedrin is not qualified to bless anyone, let alone to bless someone in Solomon's evil name. Judaism's misuse of Yahweh's words has everyone believing the temple belongs to Solomon. Almost no one attributes the temple to the one to whom it really belongs, Yahweh Elohim. The common verbiage for the temple is that it is Solomon's temple. The temple has always belonged to Yahweh Elohim and no one else. It wasn't even David's temple. Certainly it was not Solomon's. Yahweh never told either of them that he would give the temple to them. His promise was to establish David's throne forever through one of David's righteous sons. Solomon in no way qualifies as a righteous son of David. Furthermore, no one but Yahweh himself is allowed to sit on his throne in the Holy of Holies. Yahweh's throne is not the same as David's. You see, believers don't understand what David's throne signifies. Here's what it signifies. The kingdom of Israel became a vassal state to Yahweh's heavenly kingdom. He never allowed Israel to be a sovereign state in the strictest sense. Yahweh was always their king, but because of the Israelites' rejection of him, he gave them an earthly king that their eyes could see and their ears could hear. He did this because they backed away from him constantly, starting with Mount Sinai. But When the Messiah, Yahweh Elohim in the flesh, comes to rule, Judah will no longer have the scepter, and all Israel will no longer have an earthly king, but one who is both Elohim, God, and Adam, man. No one but Yeshua can fulfill this role. We must stop using the phrase Solomon's temple and start saying Yahweh's temple. Only then, once we begin saying the correct terminology, will our minds catch on to the fact that the temple does not belong to Solomon, but to our Yahweh Elohim. When you see Solomon's temple being erected, don't walk. Run! Away from it. Because the anti-messiah from the line of Solomon. Will seat himself in Solomon's temple. Declaring himself to be Messiah. And showing himself to be God. He will lead many into the lake of fire. Because they will marry him. Follow him. Instead of the true Messiah Yeshua. One other thing you should know. Solomon worshipped the abomination of Moab, and even built a high place for Chamosh and Molech of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. There is a bomb associated with Solomon's Moabite tendency. Do you remember Moab, the mother of all bombs? The Moab bomb is not misnamed nor is its association with Solomon misplaced. And while we're on the subject of using Yahweh's words correctly, according to their divine meaning in His kingdom, let's review the audio of my recent video asking, Is Yeshua really the Messiah of all Israel? The Jews say Yeshua is not the Messiah of Israel because he did not fulfill any of their expectations. The first expectation the Jews have of their Jewish Messiah is that he will restore the Jewish nation. Yeshua absolutely did not do this, nor will he do this when he returns. Huh? The Jewish Messiah is a mortal man whose first task is the restoration of the Jewish nation. To figure out why Yeshua did not and will not fulfill that role, we must define the Jewish nation. In the spirit of Yahweh's definitions, not man's religious definitions, Today's Jews are the descendants of the tribes left to Solomon's son Rehoboam after the kingdom of Israel was split in a civil war over a tax revolt. You can read the account in 1 Kings 12. God had told Jeroboam that ten tribes would be taken from Solomon's son and given to Jeroboam on account of Solomon's idolatry. 1 Kings 11.31 Then he told Jeroboam, Take ten pieces, for this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Look, I am about to tear the kingdom from Solomon's hand, and I will give ten tribes to you. Israel became two kingdoms, the house of Judah in the south and the house of Israel in the north. The house of Judah was originally comprised of the tribe of Judah. Second 2 Samuel 2, four. The house of Judah was another name for the tribe of Judah. After the split, the house of Judah had Benjamin added to it. 1 Kings 12.21 Simeon's territory was inside Judah's. Joshua 19 verses 1-9 So Simeon became absorbed into the tribe of Judah. Many Levites lived in Judea Some of those that did not live there moved south, away from the house of Israel. Scripturally, then, the house of Judah was comprised of four tribes, Judah, Benjamin, Simeon, and the Levites living within the southern territory. The four tribes of the house of Judah were given the diminutive epithet, Jews by their Babylonian enemy, because the house of Judah was from Judea, thus the diminutive name Jew. Yeshua did not come to restore the southern house of Judah alone. He said he came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Matthew 15:24. He came to revive the house of Israel after 700 years of being cut off and exiled to make it possible for their descendants to return to the Abrahamic covenant to take their rightful place in the kingdom as the individual and unique tribes they once were not as members of the southern house of Judah or converts to Judaism Yeshua, God in the flesh said he will reign over all 12 tribes. The Jewish Messiah, a mere mortal man who will die, according to Judaism, will purportedly only reign over the Jews. Which Messiah do you think will restore Israel? The whole house of Israel with 12 tribes, also known as the house of Jacob. Now let's move on to Christian persecution Nigerian Christians are being persecuted again This week, dozens were burned alive by Muslims The militants surrounded a pastor's home and set it and 95 other Christian homes on fire an eyewitness said that the gunmen waited to ensure that no survivors would escape the burning homes. The attack lasted more than four hours before security personnel finally arrived on the scene. This was one of eight villages to be attacked in central Nigeria this week. The Open Doors organization reported that between 2006 and 2014 between 9,000 and 11,500 Christians were killed and over 13,000 churches destroyed in northern Nigeria. Christians have nearly been wiped out by Muslims in the Middle East because there has been no international intervention on their behalf. So we must take our brethren to Yahweh in prayer, for He is their only salvation. That's it for this Beast Watch News update. This is Kimberly Rogers Brown signing off. Click over to BeastWatchNews.com for full comprehensive coverage of all the headlines fulfilling end of day's Bible prophecy.